So we're going to continue today with our series on I Am. Seven statements Jesus made recorded in the book of John. And last week we looked at uh, the first one that Jesus said. that I, He said, I am the bread of life. Today we're going to look at number two. And he says, I am the light of the world. Now if you want to turn in your Bibles, our main text today, although we're not going to read it until the end. But if you want to mark it, it's John chapter 8. This statement comes out of John chapter 8, verse 12. And if you want to just go to the first slide, I just put John 8, 12 on a slide. We're going to, and you'll see later why I want to come back to it later. I want to, I want to talk about light and darkness a little bit. And then I want to read this verse, John 8, 12. I want to read it in context. Because in context, I'll give you a little story now, is that in context, this took place right after the Feast of Tabernacles. And if you remember last week, it was the Feast of Passover, which was the spring. Now we're in the fall, the Feast of uh, Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles was one of three feasts that Jewish men had to travel and make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem every year to celebrate one of three feasts. This was one of them. And the Feast of Tabernacles, also called the Feast of Booths, if you do any studying, and that was because the children of Israel were instructed to make a shelter or a temporary shelter to, uh, or a booth to remember the time that God provided for them and led them through the, uh, through the wilderness. And during the Feast of Tabernacles, there was two main ceremonies. Now, one is addressed on the last day of the feast in John 7.37, where Jesus says, If any man thirst, let him come to me. And uh, that was the water libation ceremony, and that's where the priests went to pull the Siloam. They gathered water in the pots, and they spilled it out on the, on the steps. There was another ceremony called the illumination ceremony, or the illumination of the temple. And the illumination of the temple was one to commemorate the presence of God, the flame of fire that led them through the, through the wilderness. And the way this was, it, it, usually the water uh, libation ceremonies are in the morning, the illumination ceremony took place just kind of like toward the end of the day at dusk. And there were four candelabras, 75 feet tall. And they were so tall, they would have to climb ladders to get up to them. And they would light these candelabras in commemorating the fire, the pillar of fire that led them by night in the wilderness. And it was said, now this isn't in the Bible, it comes from the Talmud, which is really the, the rabbinical writings that kind of like establish Jewish theology. But in the Talmud it says that the, the light from the candelabras, the light from these huge menorahs was so light, so bright, that it would light up the entire city of Jerusalem. That you could actually in the middle of the night see as clear, clear as day. And, and so on the heels of that, with that image in their mind, Jesus makes this statement, because the other thing that these, these large menorahs or this illuminating of the temple stood for, it also pointed to the Messiah, who in Isaiah was called the light, the light that would bring revelation. It also pointed to one day a Messiah would come, and he would be called the light. And on the heels of that, fresh in everybody's memory, it doesn't tell us if it's the next day or the day after, but very soon after, Jesus says, makes this statement, he says, I am the light of the world. And imagine the impact uh, that would have in the minds of Jewish people at that day who are looking for the light of the world, remembering the pillar of fire, representing the presence of God, and Jesus stands up and he makes this statement. 
So I, I just want to look at this. Before we look at I am the light of the world and talk about light, you know, light, this, this contrast between light and darkness did not originate with Star Wars, right? I'm not a Star Wars fan, but, but if you watch Star Wars, it's probably a classic novel of, of darkness and light. Matter of fact, what did Luke Skywalker, what did he wield? A light saber, right? And, and Darth Vader, what color was he? Black. I mean, you have this, this good and evil, dark and light. Well, it didn't originate with Star Wars. It really originated in Genesis 1. And if you look in Genesis 1, it said, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit hovered over the face of the waters. And God said, what did He say? Let there be light. Literally, He's saying, light that is in me, be. Light that is in me, be. And we know from 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it says that before John ever said that God was love, John said that God was light. He said that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. So we see it from very, very beginnings of creation, we have this contrast between darkness and light. And on in verse 4, after it said that God said, let there be light, it says that he saw light and said that it was good. So this is very deep, all right? You have to really put your thinking caps on for this one. Dark is bad. Light is bad. Good. I, was, I know this is out there. Now you really got to you really got to be in the spirit to grab that one. Light is good, dark is bad. And so Jesus makes this statement. He says, "I am the light of the world. He, whoever follows me, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life." Now I want to ask you two questions. If you're watching online, I want to ask you the same questions. You do not need to raise your hands. You don't need to click like. You don't need to do anything like that because I don't want to embarrass anybody. I want to ask you a couple questions just to kind of set the stage today. But I just want you to ponder them for yourself. These are not meant in any way to be condemning. I just want more of an invitation to what God has for us today. It says, whosoever or whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Now, the word follow is, from the, is a Greek word that literally means to go down the same road. Uh, to, to go down the same path as somebody else, to follow in their footsteps, to literally walk behind. The word walk, if you think of walking in darkness, anybody ever tried to walk in darkness before? I guarantee you've done this. You got up in the middle of the night, and me being a good husband, don't want to turn the lights on, I don't want to wake my wife, go to the bathroom, right? Do my thing. If you're a guy, put the lid down. That was the plug for putting the lid down. Women will appreciate that. Yeah. And on the way back to the bedroom, you discover somebody moved the bed. Ugh! Anybody done that? Everyone's done that. And you stub your toe and forget waking your wife up because now she's heard every word in the book by this point and she's not going back to sleep. Yeah, we've all tried to walk in darkness. 
doesn't work too good. But Jesus says, whoever follows me, whoever walks down my path. So I ask you, if you're here today, do you consider yourself, next slide, do you consider yourself a follower of Jesus? If I ask you, are you a follower of Jesus, how would you answer that question? Would you say, yes, I'm a Christ follower. Yes, I follow Jesus. Yes, I am following Jesus. Jesus says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. The word walk doesn't mean to walk. The word walk means to live. It means the entirety of your life. That It literally means whoever follows me will not continuously walk in darkness, i.e. live in sin. It doesn't mean that you won't walk off the path once in a while. It doesn't mean that you won't stub your toe once in a while. What it means is if you are following Jesus, if you are a Jesus follower, you will not be living in sin. Next question. So if you're a follower of Jesus, then why are you still walking in darkness? Because he clearly said, if you follow me, you will never continuously continue to walk that way. Now, it doesn't mean you're not a believer. I believe believers can be non-followers sometimes. Believers can get blinded to where they walk in darkness. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 5.8, he says, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as what? Children of light. So if it was an automatic, he would not have instructed believers, hey, there was a time that you were darkness. You've allowed the light of Jesus to come in and change you, and now you need to start walking, you need to start living. Some translations say live, it means to live. He says now that the light of Jesus is in you, you need to start living like you're in the light, and stop living and walking like you're still in darkness, because you're not. If you're truly following Jesus... If I'm going down the pathway of Jesus, it says that in him is light and there's no darkness at all. If I'm following him, I'm not going to get stuck in sin. If I'm stuck in sin, then I can't be following him. It's not like, well, I'll follow Jesus on this issue, but not on this issue. There's one road. Jesus is going this way. So I don't want you to take that. I want, we want to look at this, and we're going to look at this from a positive standpoint. So first thing about light. Two things about light. This is going to be real easy to remember. Uh, the new lights that are out today are called, anybody ever hear of LEDs? LED light. They, they, they're really bright, and it stands for a light-emitting diode. A light-emitting diode. So diode, anybody know what di means? Two. All right, guess how many points I have today. Two. You guys are on it. I'm telling you what. Light emitting diode. So both points start with LED. And this is going to be really easy to remember. I made a mistake in one of them, so I'll tell you what they are up front. Light extinguishes darkness is number one. Light extinguishes darkness. And number two is going to be light exposes deeds. 
Light extinguishes darkness. Light exposes deeds. We're going to look at these and see how what God has for us today. So number, let's go to the first one. Next slide. Light extinguishes darkness. This is from John chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. The New Living Translation says, The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So if darkness can never extinguish light, that means light always extinguishes darkness. So if we turn the lights out in here, all i got to do is what? Flip a switch. There's never a struggle. There's never a struggle between light and dark. They don't, they don't go to battle and say, hmm, I wonder who's going to win today. I, I don't know if it's going to be Jeff or it's going to be Riddick Bro. You know, it, it's not like that. It's, it's not that there's ever a struggle or a contest between light and dark. Light always wins. See, light always wins. There, you might struggle with darkness, but light does not struggle with darkness. There's no issue. There's no such thing as a dark switch. We can't go outside and flip a dark switch. There's no such thing. Light always wins. Number two, so light always extinguishes darkness. And we're going to spend most of our time here today. Light exposes deeds. Now I know it says darkness there, but just write down deeds. Light exposes deeds. Now why don't people want to come into the light? <laughs> who, who wants to be exposed? Right? Nobody wants to be exposed. Matter of fact, this says, all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for what? Fear that their sins will be exposed. Well, first let me say, if fear is involved, love isn't. Right? Because what does the Apostle Paul say? He says that perfect love does what? Cast out fear. So if I'm fearful to come into the light... It's not God producing that fear. It's the enemy lying to me, telling me what might happen if I come into the light. See, the the enemy wants you to think, I don't want to go into the light because I don't don't know what I'm going to see about myself. I'm kind of scared what, what might come out of it. I don't know what God's going to think of me if I come into the light. Well, he sees you already, so... No surprise to him. I don't know what God's going to like condemn me with. He's not going to do that either. I don't know what other people might think of me if I come into the light. Those are lies that produce fear and they're from the enemy. See, Jesus wants you to come into the light but not to be scared of it. Because Jesus doesn't produce fear. So I want to look at this from a positive, no pun intended, positive light. That was awful. Some of you that are old enough to remember when you used to have to have film developed. Like me, Pastor Jay. Jeff, Don. So, there used to be 
this thing called 35. There probably still is, but nobody uses it. Everybody, everybody takes pictures on these now, right? But when I was younger, we used to take pictures with a camera, of all things. And in the camera went this roll of film. Now, you, you couldn't get, if you took a picture, you never really knew what was on the film until you took it to the, the photo store and got it developed. And it was always kind of funny, you know, guys do things like they would take some probably inappropriate pictures with somebody else's camera and, and give it back to them and not tell them. And that was always, you know, then they'd go get the film developed like, oh, my gosh, what is this? <laughs> not that I ever did that or anything. Or one time, it's kind of a funny story. So it was probably, probably back in the mid-90s. Kristen and I, we, we, we had just gone to Las Vegas. It made the first or second time we'd ever been there. And they just built this new hotel called the Luxor. Anybody ever heard of the Luxor Hotel, Las Vegas? It's, it's shaped like an Egyptian pyramid. So this was brand new. You know, we get there. Every other hotel in the world has glass that runs up and down, right? So the first thing I do, I was like, oh, look at the lights. Kabunk! Because it slopes. Well, okay, so, oh, that's why there's no curtains, because they can't hang with the window, otherwise they'd have to hang at an angle. So, I was like, all right, well, I'll, I'll steer clear of that glass, because obviously I can only go so far before I hit the, hit the glass. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to get a shower, get ready for dinner. Kristen, she's got the 35-millimeter camera out, and she's like, and she, but she keeps, she social distances from that, from that glass, stays back. She's taking pictures, you know, the lights, you know, and oh boy, look at the view. Isn't this great? They gave us such a good room. Click, 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 click. Fast forward two weeks, we get home. We take our, uh, take our camera, we take our film out, and we send it to, uh, I don't know. I don't even know if Walmart was around then. Well, there's a place in the mall, color something. Anyway, there's a place to develop film. We get the film back and talk about being exposed while Kristen's taking pictures in the glass, I'm walking out of the bathroom in my birthday suit, but it wasn't my birthday. And there I am, reflected perfectly in the glass. And you, know, you, you always know when they hand you your pictures and they're snickering. You know, you know there's something inappropriate in there. Those were the days. Those were the days, yeah. <laughs> Let me get back on track. <laughs> so something else would happen when, when you would go, before you take your, your film to be developed, you would have to hit this button, and it would spin it inside the casing. I don't know what that's called. But if you left a tail of film out, and that film got exposed to light... Guess what would happen to the pictures? Those pictures are ruined forever because the light ruined the film. So here's what I want to tell you today. It's serious. If Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, verses 22 and 23, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, that word actually means single. If your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Here's what I want to tell you. If you have allowed darkness into your life, 
looking at things, viewing things, consuming things. I want you to expose that film to the light of Jesus and let him ruin that film. Let what's here, what you've allowed in there, the darkness you've allowed in there, the positive aspect of light ruining the film, God, through the light of his word, through the light of his presence, can ruin that film. But you've got to expose it. You've got to expose it. And so now I want to look at that story in, in next slide. We're going to look at the story in John chapter 8, because I want you to come to the point of being exposed, but I want you to do it without fear. Remember, when Jesus is on the earth, everything that Jesus does represents the Father perfectly. So, you know, a lot of times we think that God's this big meanie up in heaven, he's ready to punish us and condemn us and, and all these bad things. But we don't see that in the life of Jesus at all. And we've got to remember that Jesus perfectly represents the Father, the heart of the Father, the nature of the Father, and everything he does perfectly represents that. So John chapter 1. Now, we're going to look at the woman. So, so think about this. The, tab, the Feast of Tabernacles is over. Everybody goes home. It says Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives, typically where he goes and prays, spends time. And the next morning he comes back and begins teaching. And then when we get to verse 12, it says he began to teach again. So this is kind of like, the, the we don't really look at it this way. When we read the story of the woman caught in adultery, we pull it out. But really, the woman caught in the act of adultery is an interruption during his teaching day. Not really an interruption, but you know what I mean. It's kind of like, it's kind of like when, uh, when he's going to heal the centurion, the woman with the issue of blood kind of comes in the middle of that situation. Remember that? So same kind of thing here. They kind of enter in. And it says, Now Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and he came early in the morning. He came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, verse 4, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us such that should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, Who is he who is without, he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again. So you see this? He's teaching the people. In, in come the, the Pharisees, bringing this woman that they catch in the very act of adultery. Now think about this. A woman that at that time, 
This was punishable by death by stoning. She's taken in the very act of adultery, will probably be stoned on the spot. She's dr- and of all places, she's drug into church. I mean, that's probably the last place you want to be drug into when you're in the act of adultery. But here they do. They bring her in the very center at the temple at the time, which would be our church, put her in front of the, the, the most well-known, most famous Bible teacher of the time, put her down, and she's probably thinking, this is it. I'm never going to be able to explain this to my husband. I'm never going to be able to ask forgiveness. If she has kids, she'll never see her kids again. This is probably going to be her last day. And she gets exposed. She gets exposed. But I want want you to see how Jesus exposed her, and I want you to see the love and compassion that he exposed her with. Because when you have an issue in your life, I want you to feel confident and secure that coming to Jesus, he's, he's going to help you fix it. That's what he wants to do. He said, he spoke to them again and says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Okay, next slide. All right, two things. And, and I, I, want, I, I want to talk about them separately, but really we're going to bring them together because one without the other doesn't work. And I want to show you why. So Friday morning, God gave me, and I kind of think in pictures, so I have a diagram I want to share with you, because one of these without the other, Jesus doesn't condemn, and Jesus doesn't compromise. And those are really two things I want to talk about, why this works in the context of his light. First, he says, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. So most of us here can can, uh, identify with the word condemn. If you look up the word condemn, it means to be summonsed in front of a judge to have your case heard and then your sentence decided. To be summonsed. Anybody ever have a summons? Had a couple summonses. Been summonsed to have your case heard, sentence decided. Jesus says, I do not condemn you. Do you know why Jesus doesn't condemn? You know why Jesus doesn't pass judgment? Do you know why Jesus doesn't declare you guilty? Because he took your guilt. And he didn't come to do that. He did not come to do that. If you look at Jesus' interaction with with Nicodemus, who came to him at night, Nicodemus was one of the uh, Pharisees, John chapter 3, look what he says to Nicodemus. He says, now this comes right after the most famous verse in the Bible. What's the most famous verse in the Bible? John 3.16. This is really just as good, if, if not as good. John 3, 17 and 18 said, For God did not send... Everybody say this. Did not. Did not. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. God never sent Jesus to pass condemnation on anybody. Ever. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. So the purpose of Jesus' coming is to save people, to heal people, to deliver people, to restore people, never, never, never to condemn or pass judgment. See, God already heard your case at the cross. God found Jesus guilty. God passed your sentence on him, and there's no sentence left for you unless you decide not to believe. 
See, because he goes on to say, he says, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. So a lot of times, like, I don't want to come to the light because I don't want to be condemned. You're already condemned. Forget about it. You're already there. Because if you reject Jesus' offer of complete and total forgiveness, you're already there. He didn't come to, to condemn you. He came to save you. So when you've got an issue in your life, expose it. That's what He does. He saves. And saving doesn't, doesn't just mean from eternal damnation. Salvation is, is practical today. We all have things we need saved from. But you've got to expose it. The problem is we want to keep it. We think, well, nobody knows about this. Nobody knows about this little issue in my life. Well, maybe just me and that guy, or maybe me and that girl, we're the only two that know about it. God knows about it. But God needs you to do this so He can light it up. It says, He who does not believe is already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. Jesus is not condemning. But here's the flip side of that. Jesus is not compromising. Jesus doesn't condemn sinners, but Jesus doesn't compromise on sin either. See, this is where typically we get it all wrong. Because we want to be relevant. Because we want to be tolerant. I'm not going to, I'm like Jesus. I don't condemn or judge anybody. But it's okay. You go do what you want to do. It's your life. It's okay. Everybody makes their own decisions. You do what you want to do. Who am I to tell you what's right and wrong? See, we're okay with the non condemnation part, but my goodness, we're full of compromise. See, Jesus didn't condemn, but He didn't compromise either. He said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. He never told her, hey, it's okay. Whatever you think's right, it's okay. You do that. There was no compromise. You know why Jesus cannot compromise on sin? God can't compromise on sin. Because he, he hates it. He doesn't hate the sinner. I mean, sinning's, honestly, being a sinner is not a big deal to God. I won't say it's not a big deal, it doesn't shock him. Say this a builder builds, a baller balls. That's <laughs> better. A player plays. A sinner sins. That's what a sinner does. They sin. A golfer golfs. See, it doesn't shock God because He knows sin or sin. He's not shocked by it. But He hates it. He hates it because of what it does to your life. This isn't a verse people read a lot, and I want you to hear, hear me out. 
Malachi 2.16, it says, The Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence. The Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garments with violence. Now, what it doesn't say, it doesn't say the Lord God of Israel hates divorced people. He loves divorced people. It says that he hates divorce because it puts violence on your garments. It causes problems in your life. It destroys you. It destroys your spouse. It destroys your kids. It does a lot of destruction. It very well could have said, the Lord God of Israel hates train wrecks. He doesn't hate people that have been in train Anybody ever been, like, metaphorically been in a train wreck? Messed up? <laughs> yeah. All right, we're going to cast out the lying demon here in a few minutes. So you could say that God hates train wrecks. He doesn't hate people that have been in them. He hates the train wreck because of the destruction that it causes in people's lives. That's why he cannot compromise on sin. He hates it. He loves you. He hates what sin's doing in your life. But here's what he says. I'm not going to condemn you, but I'm not going to compromise on what you're doing either. And here's why it takes both, because I think it shows the love and compassion of Jesus. Look at this. I call this the compassion or the uh, the compromise condemnation quadrant. Oh, let's look at this. So we know that Jesus was a friend of sinners, right? Jesus was a friend of sinners. If Jesus was condemning, do you think sinners and hookers and tax collectors would have hung out with him? No, they wouldn't have. They loved him. They loved him. He never got soft on sin, but they loved hanging out with him. He wasn't condemning, but look what it says in Hebrews. It says that he was separated from sinners. He wasn't compromising. See, he wasn't condemning, but he wasn't compromising on sin either. Look at this quadrant. Next slide. Here's all I want to show you. Now, I want you to take a picture of this, write this down, because God just showed me this. Uh, I don't think you'll ever find this on the Internet anywhere. Uh, Showed it yesterday. I just put it together two days ago. All right, so let's look in the top right quadrant. Actually, let, let's start with the Pharisees, right? Because you know what the Pharisees did? The Pharisees brought this woman and threw her into the midst. So here's what they did. The Pharisees, the bottom right says, condemn the sinner. Pharisees had no problem condemning the sinner. They loved to do that. But they, but they don't compromise on sin either. Hey, we're not compromising on sin. This is right. This is wrong. The law says do this, don't do this. No compromise on sin, but we're going to condemn you. We're going to judge you. You get the top left box, legalism. You come across the top, Jesus doesn't condemn the sinner. Jesus doesn't compromise on sin. That's compassion. See, that's what it says. It says Jesus is moved. He says he saw the multitudes and he was moved with what? Compassion. See, compassion for somebody, love for somebody, says 
I'm not judging you. I'm not condemning you. I get it. You're stuck. But you know what? I'm not going to compromise on what you're doing either. I want to help you, but I'm not going soft on sin. The bottom corner condemns the sinner and compromises on sin. That's kind of like the guy that judges somebody and it says in Matthew, but you got a, you got a plank in your own eye. I'm going to condemn you, I'm going to judge you, but, eh, you know, I'm going to compromise in my own life. Hypocrisy. That doesn't win anybody either. Anybody ever want to respond to a hypocrite? No. <laughs> bottom right is really where a lot of people are today. A lot of believers are the bottom right today too. Doesn't condemn sin, but compromises on sin. I'm not going to condemn you. I don't judge you. But who am I to say what's right and wrong for you? Everybody wants to be tolerant today. Well, Jesus didn't compromise, and Jesus didn't condemn. But you can only do it with a heart of compassion. You've got to have compassion for people. So here's what I want to invite you to do today. I want you to think, do I have any darkness in my life? Let's go to the next slide. Have I allowed any darkness in my life? Am I hiding something? Have I been habitually doing something? Am I walking in darkness and saying I'm a follower of Jesus? Only you know. But here's what I want to tell you. I want to look at this verse. It says, The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. You know, I, I see this word caught in two different ways here. See, the one way said, we, caught, we, we found this woman caught in adultery. I almost see it that she was trapped in a lifestyle of adultery. She was stuck in it. She was caught in it. That might represent you. That might represent you. You're stuck in some habitual lifestyle that's dark. And then they wanted to say, we caught her in the very act. You know what? Sometimes getting caught's a good thing. And then some people say, well, you're not really repentant if you got caught. I used to think that, but I beg to differ now. Let me tell you why. Because repentance is a change of mind. Sometimes somebody that gets caught truly repents. Sometimes not. There's other times people come up here, boo-hoo, I'm sorry, da-da-da-da-da, and walk out of here the same as they came in. So sometimes getting caught is a good thing. So maybe you're stuck. If you're caught in something, come into the light. If you got caught doing something, come into the light. See, the light is the only place that God can start to draw that thing out of you. He can ruin that film and put some new film in there. So that's a good thing. When, when, when you ruin the film, guess what you get to put back in? Some new film. Some unruined film. And he can do that. You just got to give him an opportunity to do it.
Let's stand. Let's pray. We're going to close. So first and foremost, as every week, I want to ask, if you have never, ever, if you've never made Jesus the light of your life, you've never allowed that light of Jesus to shine into your heart, you've never allowed the peace of God to, to come into your life, the love of God, I just want to tell you this, there's no, no matter what you've ever done, He knows about it already, He's paid for it already, and He loves you already. There's nothing you can do or have done that surprises God. He would want nothing more than you to say, I give you my life. And if you've never done that, I just want to lead you in a prayer today. Anybody here like that today? Let me just, it's by show of hands. Do we have anybody like that? I see a hand. I see one hand. All right, let me just pray for you. And if you're online today and you don't know Jesus, you can invite him into your heart real sim- very simply like this. Just say, Father, I thank you for your son Jesus. I admit that I am a sinner, but I know that you paid for my sin, that you died for my sin, you were buried and you rose again. And I say yes to you today. I receive everything you have for me and I believe in you. Jesus name if you did that you got a new got some new film in your camera right now you got some new film now for the rest of you we're just going to take a little time of worship and I just want to invite you if you need prayer if you want to get alone with God if you want to say God I'm exposed I'm not going to hide this thing anymore. I'm going to put it out in the open. I'm going to trust you that you're going to love me. You're not going to condemn me. You're going to clean me up. But I'm going to expose it to you. If you want to do that alone, that's fine. If you want to ask for prayer to somebody to agree with you, we'd love to do that too. I just want you to take some time to reflect on that today.